Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, I missed you all. Yeah, last Sunday I was like getting on a plane. I was like, I should be in church right now. I don't know about you, maybe this is controversial to say in the 21st century, but I like going to church. I know, I know. That's crazy. I mean, I get paid to be here, you don't. But I do, I like, you know, it's just like, with everything that's been going on in our culture over the past you know, decade and just this massive shift that we're going through, like questioning why are we doing this? Like what is this, what is this, what is this for? You know, could we be doing better or more interesting or more life-giving things with our Sunday mornings? And I, I don't know, in my old age, I just got to this point, I'm like, I just like going to church. I like seeing your faces, I like singing about Jesus, and I like reading the Bible, and I like praying. And I just want to do more of those things. You know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of over being cynical about church. I like it. I like church. Um, now that cynicism will continue to chase me because that's just part of what it means to be Irish. But um, I do like being here and I missed you guys. And you'll have to excuse me. I, I did get a little bit sick on the second half of my trip. So I'm still kind of like dealing with it. So I have a very, what, this, I think the first song was in the key of D or something that you chose. And I was like, come out of hiding wherever you roam. Yeah. I blame David Crowder. Do you want to hear my David Crowder story? It's not great. It's an anecdote. Uh, I used to be in a band and we, it's not a story per se, but it's a cool David Crowder moment. So anyway, I was in a band when I was younger, and we were playing Cornerstone uh, in Illinois, which was this huge Christian festival, and kind of one of the main stages, I was like behind stage, on side stage, watching Me Without You, which is one of my favorite bands, and they're amazing live, and I just stand there and bopping along, and I look next to me, and there's this giant skeleton with an afro and glasses and a sharp beard that looks like it could cut glass, and it's David Crowder, and I was like, whoa! And he just looked at me, and he's like, hey man, and I'm like, hi David Crowder, that's awesome. So, it's not a story, it's an anecdote. Anyway, um, we're in this series, Be Strong and Take Heart, where um, this is kind of the, the, the yearly vision that the Lord has given us for where we're headed, and, and as I've said many times before, one of the ways that I really like how we do vision this church is like, the Lord speaks, and kind of like Israel in the desert, it's like, we say, what is, th- what is this? You know, that's what the word manna literally means, is what is it? Um, And a lot of times when the Lord gives us something, we go, well, what is it? And he says, yeah, let's find out. So a lot of our process of vision in this church is a process of discovery. And what I like about that is it means that we have to continually learn to rely on the Lord day to day, week to week, month to month, and always be inclining our ear to hear his voice, rather than just assuming we know what it is about and then just kind of running on ahead and leaving God behind. And I think that's often what happens in church communities and even in our personal journeys where we become really programmatic and prescriptive in our faith when we think it's just about running the playbook instead of learning how to build intimacy with God. Um, and so when we have a vision that it's like, oh, well, what, what is this? What does this mean for us? We get into it and we begin to explore it with the spirit of Jesus. And I think a lot of times we're kind of surprised and delighted by what happens there. Um, and so in this series, Be Strong and Take Heart, we've been looking at all these different spiritual movements uh, that the great writer Henry Nouwen highlighted over the, uh, the course of his life that help us to recognize what, what exactly is it that we're being saved from and what are we being saved into? And then what are some practices that we can participate in that really help us Uh, to grow, to know that salvation is not a one and done, I prayed the prayer when I was 12 years old and now I'm just kind of twiddling my thumbs and waiting for the apocalypse, but rather salvation is this ongoing process as the spirit of Jesus within me is doing this work almost in the background, almost imperceptibly day by day. And I recognize, oh my goodness, I, I, I look and sound and feel and act more like Jesus than I did the day before. And that's what we call spiritual growth and spiritual formation. So today, 
we're going to be exploring uh, the spiritual movement of dissipation to homecoming. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about what dissipation means, but a lot of what we're looking at today is um, essentially salvation as homecoming. So I'm going to pray, uh, and then we're going to uh, jump into scripture reading uh, Luke chapter 15, beginning in the 11th verse. So Heavenly Father, we testify the truth that you are here. Um, and over and above all of our busyness and our competing allegiances, over and above all of our neuroses and anxieties, of our, our victories and our joys, you are here. You are the only truly consistent one in the midst of all of our inconsistencies. And Lord, I pray that our, as a community, we would, we would live in that place where David says, I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Deliver us from our cynicism. Deliver us from our fear of others. Deliver us from this belief that this thing we're doing right now just costs us, that it's an inconvenience to our lives. Teach us how to reconvert our approach to being the church and to doing church, and yes, even to going to church, that it might be something that brings us life because it connects us to you. And so may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is uh, Luke 15, uh, beginning in the 11th verse. And this should be very familiar to many of you um, who have you know, grown up in the Christian faith, and especially if you've been part of this church for a while. For me, there are certain scriptures, passages of scripture that are almost like these pinnacle moments in scripture. It's kind of like, they act as like a lens through which we can read everything else. Uh, and so the, the par what we call sometimes the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son for me is one of those. It's, I think it's a, an absolutely perfect story. You know, like, do you know, like when you hear this, a song and you're like that, this is the perfect song. Um, and it's in your eyes by Peter Gabriel. That is the perfect song. There is nothing in that song you would change. The triangle is perfect, you know? The prodigal son for me is like that. There's like, it's, it's like, it, it's sacred in what we mean by sacred. Like it contains inexhaustible meaning. Like we keep coming back to it and we keep allowing this story to wash over us and you, you're constantly seeing something new or different in it, you know? Um, it's like not, a, Jesus doesn't waste a single word or moment. So I'm gonna read this story and, when I, and one of the practices we've been engaging with in this series is to take a minute just to be silent before the Lord. Uh, and to allow God to speak to us in that moment. So whatever, whatever it is that God's highlighting to you may have nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about today, and that's okay. Um, we're going to believe that God wants to speak to each one of us through the scriptures. So this is Luke 15, 11 to 32. <coughs> there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who set sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, 
Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It'll take one minute. It's the perfect story. And it's um, one of the stories that we continually come back to to remember these three primary values that we have as a church community, like these foundational theological values. That we begin the story with intimacy with Father God. We believe that God is our source. That's where we find our sense of self. These, these deep questions inside all of us. Who am I? And who do I belong to? And what am I to do with my life? All of those questions find their, their, their answer with Father God. Um, and in that, out of that intimacy with Father God, we learn uh, to inhabit this identity that we have in Christ. Um, there's a lot of ways we talk about it, like being a son or a daughter of the living God, uh, being in Christ. Um, but I love to think of the belovedness, right? Like our, your identity is as the beloved of God, which is not something you can earn or achieve or perform. It's only something that you can learn how to receive. In the same way that God speaks over Jesus, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Uh, God does the same to us when we are in Christ. He says, this is charity whom I love, with her I am already well pleased. And so we learn how to receive our identity as a gift, not as a performative aspect of our lives. And when we learn how to live out of that belovedness, then it brings us to our purpose as the Spirit-led church, to go out into the world, to be an extension of the love of God, um, to, to preach the good news by any means necessary. And a lot of times what happens, and, our, and I think it's a very human mindset, I don't think it's a uniquely Christian thing, but we often invert that. We begin with our performance, right? If I do everything correctly, if I, if I behave myself, and I'm a good little Christian boy or a good little Christian girl, then I get to have a certain kind of status, like I, I've achieved a title or a role. And then eventually, if I hold on to that tightly enough, then I can maybe eventually approach God. Like I have to clean myself up and do all the right things, and then maybe by then I'm able to worthy of getting to God. And that's what we see in this story with the younger son especially, right? The thing that, that has really stuck with me in the past couple years in this story is he recites to himself the lines he's going to use to enter in back into the father's house, right? To say, I've, you know, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy of being a son. Just let me be a servant, right? Like, I'm so full of shame, and I've gotten this totally wrong. Um, obviously, I can't be your, your kid anymore. Like, I know you don't love me anymore, right? How many of us? Yeah, right? Like, that's, that's our reapproaching God. I, I, 
I know I screwed up and I know you don't love me anymore, but maybe I could just be a really good worker. Like maybe if I just do enough for you, you'll give me a roof over my head and that's kind of all I can expect. Now we don't know if the son genuinely feels that about himself or if he's trying to like manipulate his way back into the father's house, but it almost doesn't matter. Because God doesn't, it, the crazy thing is about the story is the father doesn't even address the son's lines that he's creating. It's like he just like bats that aside and goes, we're not even going to talk about that because you're home, you know? And I think that that's what's so profound to me about this, this story as we look at it through these lenses of intimacy and identity and purpose. We see that the father, this father, does not impose himself upon his children, this father says, I love you so much that I'm going to let you walk away. Not only that, but I'm going to give you everything that you are owed. I'll let you have it. And this is what we call wrath. That's what the wrath of God is. The wrath of God is when God looks at you and he says, I love you so much that I will let you walk away from me. I'll let you leave the house. It's not Zeus with the lightning bolt trying to punish you for your sin. It's a father who says, I love you and respect you so much that I will let you walk away from me. I will let you leave the house. I will let you enter into the distant land and squander everything you've been given because I love you that much. But this father also always keeps the door open. You know, I, in, in my mind's eye, when I see this story playing out, I see the son coming over the hill kind of reciting the things that he's going to say to try to get his way back into the house. And I see the father standing like right in the doorway, you know? He's just, and he's like, it's like every day. And I'm sure his wife is coming just being like, why, you, he's gone, give it up. Like, why do you torture yourself every day to just sit and wait? And the father's just standing there like constantly like looking out the window, standing in the doorway being like, is my kid, is this the day my kid's coming home? Is this the day that he's going to come over the horizon? And in my mind's eye, I just imagine that it's like as soon as, you know, like with your parents, um, like, you know, they, they've known you like in every part of your life if, if, if you have good parents. And they know your mannerisms and they know the way you walk, right? And I can imagine, like, can you imagine that, Nick? Like you're like 500 yards away, but your mom can probably go, that's Nick. I can see, I know that swagger from anywhere. You know what I mean? Like your parents, they just know your mannerisms. Like they don't even see your face. They're just like, that's my kid. I know the way my kid walks. I know the way my kid carries themselves. And this father, I just imagine like just sees him on the horizon and just rushes out of the house, rushes out of the farm and goes and finds him to bring him back. Like he's not waiting for him to get to the doorway. And that's the way the father is with us. It's like he doesn't even wait for us to get to the doorway because he wants us to like just be mired in our shame and our guilt. Like, oh, I'm going to let them stew as long as possible right until they get to the threshold. He's like, nope. He's just running after him, you know? And the biggest thing with this son, I think, even when the son lives in the house, it's not a home. That son, the younger son, he's in the house but I think in one respect, he doesn't believe that he is truly loved by his father. And so in their, in their culture, for him to say, give me my portion of the inheritance, that's something that would happen once the father dies. So he's saying, I kind of wish you were already dead so I can get what I want out of you. Um, and I think a lot of times that's what happens to us when we don't believe that we are the beloved of God. God becomes the ATM in the sky. They go, well, I'm not, just give me what I'm owed. Like, God, just give me the stuff that, that I deserve that you are contractually obligated to give me. And so because the younger son doesn't believe that he is truly beloved, he takes advantage of the father, and that's when he takes off, and he takes everything that he was owed, and he goes out and says, I'm going to find love somewhere else. And when we talk about dissipation, it's a fancy word. What does it mean? Dissipation essentially means to squander, <coughs> to, to dissipate, like, like energy being sapped out of something, to, to frivolously expend with, until there's nothing left, right? And so we see this son who chooses out of belovedness, who goes out to find love other places, or as St. Rihanna told us, to find love in a hopeless place. <laughs> You still with me? Okay, good, yeah. We haven't had a Rihanna quote in a while, you know? Um, his response to not believing that he is beloved, 
nothing to do with the father's love towards him, but his ability to receive it. He say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to build a life for myself. I'm going to go out and I'm going to find love and I'm going to find achievement and I'm going to find success or whatever it is that he thinks he's going to find that he didn't believe was in the house. And then he comes to terms with the fact that it was, it was never there. It was all an illusion. There was, there were, there was nothing out there for him. And then we have this third character, the older son. And I find this older son fascinating. I think I generally, as someone who has grown up in the faith, I probably align myself more with the older son than the younger son. Um, because I don't think the older son believes in his own belovedness either. I don't think he believes that he's loved by his father. He doesn't go anywhere. But I, there was even one line was, was struck me just as we were reading it today. And it says, um, so the older son is in the field. It says, when he came near the house. So in the older son's mindset, it's a house. It's not a home. And later on, when he's speaking to the father, he says, all these years I've been slaving for you and never dissipated your orders. So his mindset is like, the house is the place where I have to behave myself. And if I do everything correctly, then maybe I, I can earn my place in the house. So the only difference between the older and the younger son is the older son just never actually physically left, but he, he certainly did emotionally and spiritually. And he became overcome with cynicism and anger and frustration because he thought he was owed something in the house. Like, I did it all. I mean, how many of us, honestly, that's, that's where we live. That's our resentment with God. It's our resentment with the church. And if we're honest, it's not because of the attitude of God the Father. It's because we have held those things in an impoverished way where we think it's about our performance and our behavior. And we say to God, I have slaved with, for you for 30, 40 years, however long it is that you've been part of the house. And God's response, the father's response to this older son is like, my son, everything I have already belongs to you. The thing that he didn't believe, because he said, well, I have to earn everything that, that comes my way. I have to earn my place at the table with the father. I have to earn the, 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 the young goat that I can celebrate with my friends. Because he's in that kind of house mentality. And the father's saying, this is your home. This is where you belong. This is where you, you are loved. This is where everything is available to you. You don't have to earn any of this. You don't have to turn in a time card at the end of the week just to prove that you get to be here. And that's the older son's cynicism and resentment to say, I did it all correctly and it didn't work. And I think the tragedy for our generation is that so many people have been raised in that performance mentality Christianity that they've walked away because they did the thing correctly and it didn't work because they were never really opened up to the possibility that maybe the father already loves them and maybe he is already well pleased with us that it's not about us you know kind of coming back into the house like the younger son with this slave mentality but it's also not like being the older son and staying in the house too maintaining this slave mentality and I love, like with so many of Jesus' parables, this one just, it just ends. And we don't, we don't get any resolution. Like, does the younger son come to understand um, his belovedness? Like, are the, the brothers reconciled? Does the older son break out of that horrible shell of cynicism and resentment in order to, to cherish the, and celebrate the fact that his little brother came home? Like, none of that's part of the story, and that's the genius of Jesus' parables. Because we're left with more questions than answers. We go, well, what happens? What's next? And Jesus goes, yeah. What, what do you think is next? And I think that's what Jesus does with his parables. He goes, you are what comes next. You are the closure to this story, depending on how you respond to it. How do you want it to resolve? The only way that you can get this story to resolve is to see, am I the younger son who has not believed that they are truly loved and accepted for who they are and has found themselves in the distant land, squandering everything to look for what they always had? Or am I the older son who never went anywhere, who behaved themselves 
to the supper table every day and then has this deep resentment against God because they didn't get what has always actually been available to us. So I think dissipation or squandering of our lives, our resources, the gifts that God has given us, it happens for all sorts of reasons, but I think the core reason is that we're looking for love and comfort everywhere except for the Father's house. And this, uh, this story reminds me of a quote from St. Francis of Assisi that has been so central to me for, for years. It's a wonderful one uh, to meditate on. So, you know, St. Francis, he was that younger son. I don't know if you, you know the story of Francis, but he was, um, <coughs> excuse me, his father was a rich merchant. He was uh, kind of like a, a spoiled, entitled kid. Um, who had a lot of wealth and squandered a lot of wealth, had this radical encounter with God in this broken down church. Like it was just like the shell of a chapel that he fell asleep in one night and, and God gave him this vision, like I want you to like rebuild the church. And so he devoted himself to, to poverty and then all these people started following him. Um, and you know, he was a bit of a thorn in the side for the Catholic Church for a long time, but at the same time, people found him really compelling, and he really brought around this sense of revival because he gave away everything in order to really latch himself onto the vision that God had given him. But one of the things that he said that I think is so powerful, he said, we've been called to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. And I love that. Because what Francis is telling us is what's one of the core truths of this story of the prodigal is that every son grows up to become a father and every daughter grows up to become a mother. And that's part of our spiritual growth is that at some point, the more that we learn how to inhabit our belovedness, we grow up, we mature, and we become mothers and fathers. And we become the ones who are standing in the threshold, scanning the horizon, looking for the children who have lost their way. We don't stand in the threshold and wag our fingers at those who have squandered their wealth because we're not the older son. But we look and we wait and we say, I am an extension of the Father now. Like I am extension of the love of God, looking to bring home, to, to heal wounds, to bind wounds, to, to see this whole world has been dissipated. It's just been shattered by sin and evil and death. And part of my role is to go out into the world like, like a roll of tape or like... Um, like needle and thread that God is using. Like one time God gave me this kind of vision in worship one time years and years ago of like each of us is a stitch between heaven and earth. That's like, that's who you are. Like literally in the hand of God, God is stitching heaven and earth back together and you're one of those stitches because you are, the, you are what God uses to bring back together the things that have fallen apart and to bring them those who have lost their way. And this is our mission. That kind of the third value, our purpose as God's people is that we become extensions of the Father. So how do we do this? What does that look like specifically for our community? And that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. What We need kind of that continual vision or that divine or prophetic imagination that's stirred up in parables like this to, to realign and reassess our priorities. Because if we don't, what happens is we forget that we are the beloved of God and we become the older son. We forget that we have a home and we become the younger son and we walk away. Um, we see our role in this family, in this church community as an obligation. We, and we enter into it with that slave mentality and then we serve one another until we get burned out and then we just leave or we pull away or whatever it might be. We need that vision to kind of call us back to what it is that we're actually doing. So one of the things um, that we've been, like uh, the elders and myself have been talking about recently, kind of revolves around this, that we want to turn a house into a home for God's people. How do we turn a house into a home? Um, I just got my, my bathroom remodeled while I was in Colombia, which was totally awesome and nerve-wracking, trying to coordinate, like, contractors and granite people and then my dad in the middle of it texted me like oh, your, I, your internet went out and I don't know what to do and I'm like I'm on vacation dad please take care of the internet for me you know 
Um, but one of the things, like in becoming a homeowner, like, you know, I, I rented a bunch of places and I lived in other people's houses when I was even younger. I'm sure a lot of you, like, that's, that's your thing. Is like, there's a feeling of like, you're in somebody else's space. Or like, your space is your room and then there's like the common space. And there's probably a couch that was on the side of the road and you're wondering if like three days was too, too long. Like, how many of you, you had that couch? Right? Yeah, oh yeah. Like, it's not a home. It's a house. Like, you sleep there. And that's about it. But as you get older, um, I think one of the primary, like, values or pivots that happens in our lives is that we start to believe, like, I want to create a home. I want to create a place of beauty, of hospitality, where people can step in and intuitively know that they are loved and that they are valued. And that's something that we want as a church community. You know, by the grace of God, we've been here in the Science Center for two years now, which is hard to believe it's been two years. And it's, it's been beautiful. It serves us well. We love this place. We love these people. Even though they believe in science, <laughs> we'll get them. Um, but we're, we're, we're crashing on our friend's couch. That's kind of where we're at right now, you know? Um, and so uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the elders had uh, a retreat really kind of inqu inquiring of the Lord, like, give us like three to five years vision. Like, what are some of the things that we could imagine of ourselves in five years? This is what we look like. So one of them was, um, we need to find a building that we can call home. A church is not a building, right? We know, we know this. Okay. But it's also really nice to have your own space. Um, and I think actually there's a level of maturity in our community now that we could step into that kind of ownership without it going to our heads and without us shifting our priorities and believing, you know, like now we've got a building, so this is some kind of social club that's just available for these people. But we want, to, we want a house that we can make a home um, that we can welcome in um, our family, but we can also welcome in other people. One of my favorite things back in the day when we were at Alden was we had two Narcotics Anonymous groups, an Adult Children of Alcoholics group, we had an AA group, we had different uh, churches, youth groups using the building. Like our home was being used a lot. And I miss that. I miss having that kind of ministry. I miss being able to, um, for us just to be able to do things throughout the week together. Like it's like, now we're always kind of scrambling. Like, you know, when I do these all day teachings, like I love having you guys in, at my house. Um, it's great, but I'm like scrambling to find chairs and everything for everybody. And like, you know, it's just, it's nice when we have our own space for that sort of thing. So we believe, um, that we need to find a building to call home. And so that's going to be one of the big uh, initiatives. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, secondly, um, we want to expand our children's ministry. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but people keep having babies in this church. Um, maybe we need to do the sex talk or something. I don't know. Like, I'm looking at Jenna. She's our sex pastor. They figured it out. They figured it out? Yeah, probably. Um, as we grow... Like, so does our family, even from, from the inside. And, you know, I think part of, part of maturity that, that I've noticed in myself and, and a lot of you is, like, when you, let will be honest, and I'm, my apologies to most of you who are in your 20s, like, you're just kind of like a self-absorbed loon when you're in your 20s. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, Christina, how often do we talk about this? We're like, I'm so glad to be in my 30s. I'm calling you out for that, for sure. You're like, I am so glad to be in my 30s. Like, you just believe it's just about you, and then there's other people around you doing their thing. As you get older, you begin to realize how interconnected we are. And part of our job is, like, that we invest in the children in our community because they're our kids, you know? I think it takes a village to raise an idiot. And it takes a, vill it takes a village to raise a Christian. And so these children, um, they are our kids, and we help to raise them together. And we don't go, oh, those kids are my problem, because I don't have any kids. And it's not, it's not even about whether or not you will have kids eventually. It's to say, no, we are part of one another. We are connected. We have been bound together by God. And so we want to expand our children's ministry. And I've been thinking a lot about, like, about legacy and like, what does it look like for you know, so we just had two new babies, Bennett and Mariella, have been born. What would it look like for Bennett and Mariella to grow up in our community? 
that they go through our, our kids' ministry. They're in like youth group together. They, they know all of you. Some of you begin to mentor them when they get into their teenage years. They go off to college. They come back. Like, are we thinking like that? You know, I don't know that we always are. But like to think with that kind of legacy for our children's ministry, I think would be so powerful. Thirdly, um, we want to increase our outreach to the city and to the world. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, we believe that this isn't like a, uh, an insular thing. This is not a secret club. We don't contain secret knowledge. Um, we're not ashamed of, of who we are and who God's made us to be, but we believe that we are called to go out into our city and not only into our city, but into the world and to preach the good news. And I talked about this several weeks ago in a sermon about evangelism and how for many of us that's a source of anxiety because we grew up with the street preachers and yelling at people and you know using all these silly little machines and techniques that we have as Christians to try to convey something that nobody knows what we're talking about, like all that. It's like, scrap all of that. Let's just do it better. Let's just do evangelism better and reclaim it instead of being so damned ashamed and cynical and resentful of everything that was done wrong. Like, yeah, we know it was done wrong. Like, it didn't work. We hurt more than we helped. So let's just do it better. And let's go out into the world and let's like actually love people with this love of God that we so, you know, we proclaim that we, we receive. And it's like, if you, if you think that you have received the love of God, go out and show it. And ironically, what you find, and a lot of you know this, is when you go out and you demonstrate the love of God, you practice this thing, you actually are capable of receiving more, or you realize what it is that you have received. Like that older son, again, part of the resentment is probably because he just stayed in the house all the time, and he didn't go out. And so that he never got a chance to actually exercise the love that the father had for him. So um, those are kind of three initiatives that we want to work with moving forward. Um, and when that breaks down into some of our ministries, um, I think this is what it kind of looks like. So in terms of um, discipleship, we learn to become home for one another by putting Jesus at the center of our relationships. So part of being the church is learning how to become home. Um, and we believe that our, like our community groups, this has been a big thing that we've been working on for a year or two, is like our community groups to become the real bread and butter, the backbone of our church. The Sunday thing is wonderful and it has its place in the ecosystem of, of our life together, but it can't, like our, our life with one another can't be limited to an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It's when we're meeting together through the week and we're talking with one another and sharing with one another and we're praying over each other when you know, we have these text threads in our different community groups and, and saying, hey, I'm having a really hard day. Can everybody pray for me? Or like, hey, I just got a promotion. Can we go and celebrate this week? Like that's the real life of this church. Um, it's not enough for us just to show up on a Sunday. That it is not enough for your relationship with God and it's not enough for your relationship with other people. Um, and in that, we also recognize um, that we are a mix of younger and older sons. Some of us are real cynical and resentful because we've been in the house the whole time and we've been behaving ourselves into the kingdom. And some of us, we wandered away for a long time and we found ourselves in the distant land and we came back and we don't think that we're worthy of being a son or daughter. And imagine what happens when you get those people into a room together. And that's the reality of community. Uh, you know, I, I personally am no longer shocked at how dysfunctional we can be. Because it's, it's like, to me, it's almost like going to a hospital and being like, ugh, I can't believe how many sick people there are here. Obviously, they're not doing their job. Like, if this hospital was a good hospital, there wouldn't be any sick people in it. And you're like, that's not how humanity works. You know, it's the same thing with the church, going, ugh, I can't believe how many unhealthy people there are in their church. Like, where'd you expect them to be? We're all older sons and younger sons dealing with cynicism and resentment and entitlement and narcissism and all these isms and all, you know, all, all this stuff finds itself in the mix. But it's through the process of maintaining a vision of who we are to become that we are becoming a home for one another that we have not yet achieved, that we extend a little bit more grace to ourselves and to one another. And so um, through the summer, we're not really um, like emphasizing our community groups. Some of them are taking a break. Others are just kind of, uh, you know, just doing different things together. But in August, we're going to really begin to fortify our community groups. We hope to launch a few new ones in the fall. 
Um, we're going to expand the call for community groups to, to, um, to serve together, to find opportunities to go out into the city with one another and to serve together, um, to host social events that welcome other people in and just like we can enjoy each other's company. So I'm really excited about that. So that's discipleship. Uh, the next piece with, with outreach, um, we reach out in love to those whom God beckons home. One of the ways that I'd love to see the prodigal story um, resolve is that that prodigal son grows up and he becomes the guy who stands in the doorway, stands on the threshold, kind of scanning the horizon. Or maybe actually he goes out to the distant land and he comes along some, some other kid who's like, you know, huffing pig slop or whatever. And he goes, I actually know what that feels like. I, I've literally been where you are, and it sucks. But why don't you come back with me to my dad's house, and we're going to get you fixed up, and you're going to have a seat at the table, and we're going to give you a good plate of food, and we're going like, to bring you back to life. Um, you don't have to live this way. And I think that's the attitude that I want us to have as we become home for one another. Then we become home uh, for those who have lost their way. So I want to invite up Kristen Bader, <coughs> give her a little cheer. Now, does anything look different about Kristen Bader? Yes. Something's very shiny. Something's very shiny. Um, Kristen Bader recently got engaged to a very handsome man called Matt, and we're so excited for you. So Kristen... Um, Kristen heads up our local global team, and this team is all about um, kind of creating opportunities for all of us to go out into the world and to serve, to create this kind of lifestyle of investment. Um, it's not about just doing random things so that we feel good about ourselves, but it's really about sustainable relationship. And so, you know, kind of during the pandemic, we obviously we couldn't do much, but over the past year, her and her team have done this amazing job of really prayerfully inquiring of the Lord, like, where do you want us to invest? Um, and they've kind of developed a really sweet plan. So this is kind of like the official, like, reveiling of uh, our local global. So Kristen's going to tell us a little bit about what some of those partnerships are, are, and then what it's going to look like moving forward for us to invest in those places. Uh, that's fine. Great. Uh, I mean, yes, yeah, so our first goal has been to be that person on the doorstep looking around, seeing what God's doing. And our goal is that we're helping everyone in this community step out into faith to be part of what God is already doing and investing your lives. So we have three new things, some no, soon old, some new, of really just wanting to be that place. So we looked around our community and we saw Ashley already working at Orlando Children's Church. And that's one of our big ones for us coming up. We are committed to being there every Saturday on the fourth Saturday. Um, you, The first time you're there, you need to to have done a background check, but otherwise you can just come and join our team. There are a couple of us that will be committed to being there every fourth Saturday. It's about three hour commitment, playing with kids. If you like sports, if you like board games, if you like reading books, you're just there. It's kind of chaotic, but we're actually providing these children that are bussed in from all over around Orlando an opportunity to be kids for the morning. A lot of them are responsible for their younger siblings. They are helping take care of the house um, so Saturday mornings, they get to just be kids and hear about Jesus. And we're there to, like, love on them. So, it, uh, you know, as Ryan talked about community group serving, this might be a place that maybe once a year or twice a year, your community group comes on a Saturday morning and joins our team. Or you as an individual, or grab your best two, three friends, and we come. And it's really a low... A low, like, you don't need to know anything. <laughs> you just come. Um, there might be some juice spilled in your hair, but you make it through the morning. <laughs> so that's one of our others. The other one we look through, um, and we, you may remember that we've already done backpack drives and Christmas gifts for them. So we're continuing this partnership, and we want you to be part of stepping on the next step. The other thing we did this Christmas was really raise gifts for One More Child. One More Child is about serving the love of Christ to different children in the area. Um, there's five different areas, foster kids, I have to cheat, it's my organization, but I can't remember it. Foster kids, single moms, hungry children, including internationally, um, struggling families, and what we're partnering with is those that have been trafficked. So kids and young adults, and as I see new clients come in, they have nothing. They're leaving the life, and 
They might barely have the clothes on their back. So we are going to put together some bags for that first time things. Very, uh, most of our clients are women, so we're aiming on that, but very basics. Women's deodorant, underwear, gift cards so they can get a bra that fits them appropriately, and like flip-flops or a t-shirt. So for the next four weeks, you can bring those things in. Sometime this week, there will be a link with our Amazon wish list, so you can do that. Today, you can go on the Give site on our City Beautiful Give site. Check the drop down that has one more child and donate money, and we'll shop for you. Or you can buy any of those things, bring them in the next four weeks, and then the next Sunday we will put those bags together so you have a piece of really being part of that. Um, and yeah, so gift cards is on that list. Um, we're thinking Walmart gift cards so that they can go get a thing that's actually fitting them. And then our long-term partnership is our global partnership, which is in Peru. Um, we have a yeah church that we love there. Ryan, you've been on this a lot. What do you love about our Peru partnership? The, so I remember one of the first few times that we went and and talking with this community. And so it's like kind of like up in the like the outskirts, like a really poor area in Lima, Peru. And they were saying. I was asking, like, what's the general spiritual climate in Peru? And they said, on one end, there's this very institutionalized Catholicism that's very controlling of people. On the other side, there's this kind of very hyper-legalistic Pentecostalism that's also very controlling of people. And Peruvians have a, a, an abstract understanding of grace. They believe in grace, but they think it's more available to us in North America than it is to them. And this church, like, they just drip grace. Like, it's so central to everything they do in their community. And that was really humbling. Yeah, I, I love that. And we, we've been praying for this community. We've been messaging them, but we haven't been able to be with them in a while. So a small group of people who have been part of this before are going this fall. If that's been you and you're interested in joining that team, please let me know. Um, and then think about ways that you can be engaged for a spring trip. Think about how God's calling you and what that looks like. That's probably our biggest commitment involvement in our things, but uh, we know that there are levels for all of us. So again, um, Orlando Children's Church once a month, be alive and you can be it. <laughs> One more child, you can give money, buy gifts, um, or yeah, just, I think there's a third way, but yeah, really, we're making that as easy as possible for the next couple of weeks to do that, and then Peru, you can be praying and thinking about how God's calling you there. Thanks. Cool. Thanks, Kristen. So discipleship, local, global, serving beyond, and then the third piece is serving within, serving our family. So we practice hospitality to welcome in strangers that they might become family. Um, the older I get, the more hospitality becomes a high value. I always used to think it was like one of the cute spiritual gifts. You're like, oh, you got hospitality? That's nice, you know? And I was like, we'll put you in charge of the coffee. Um, <laughs> Yeah, right? Like, it's kind of how it gets communicated a lot. And it's like, show me the people that got deliverance. They must, God must favor them more, you know? The prodigal son, the whole story is about hospitality, you know? It puts that central. Hospitality is the radical ability to extend to somebody the dignity of being a human being. That's what hospitality is. And so when we serve in this community, it's us learning to become an extension of the radical hospitality of the Father. Now, how many of you, you're currently serving in some capacity in this church? Great. Um, like I said, I'm the only one that gets paid to be here. Well, you know, there's a couple of us. I get paid to be here. I forget all the time that that's my vocation. Like, I will easily turn this into an obligation or that slave mentality of the older son, like, I better go to church and behave myself and be a good little Christian boy and that's how I'm going to get into heaven. I do that all the time. Or I go, oh, I better like sing for my supper and this sermon better be killer or Steve's not going to pay me for this month, you know? Like, it's so easy for us to get into that. But a lot of times, um, what happens with, for us in serving whether it's like on our engagement team, like what literally being the hands and feet of Jesus welcoming people in, whether it's our ops team, like creating a space of beauty for people to connect with the Lord, if it's our worship team, like singing songs like over one another so that we can kind of ascend into the place of the Lord, if it's our tech team, like doing all of the technical things that create that space, it is so 
easy for each of us. Like our kids' ministry, I forgot that one. I already talked about that one. But like serving our children is so easy for us to convert into an enslaved mentality where we go, oh, I've got to do this thing, and it's going to cost me, and I have to show up early, and I have to do it. And you know, it's like we take on that older son's cynicism and resentment so easily when it comes to serving. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because we believe serving and, and obligations to the family will drain me and it just costs me. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because that is absolutely what is going to happen. If we maintain that perspective of the older brother and go, well, I've been doing all, you know, I've been showing up and I serve once a month and da 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 Like, it will drain you and it will turn you cynical and resentful. And it's got nothing to do with how often you're on the schedule. And it's got nothing to do with whatever, whatever it is that you're being asked to do in that moment. It's got everything to do with forgetting why we're here in the first place. That when we recognize, oh my gosh, the thing that I'm doing is to become an extension of the radical hospitality of the Father. That when people come in, we're standing in the threshold and we're saying, bring them a ring. Bring them, you know, the finest garments, like give them a seat at the table, like they are honored and they're welcome because they're children of God. When we forget that, we turn all of this into an obligation. And so I'm going to bring up a couple people um, that I think have resisted that in really beautiful ways. First is Johnny Sorman, who's on our engagement team. One of my favorite things about Johnny, and there are many, um, is that he knows his palate. And so whenever you see mustard, which I look good in mustard too, but you, you, we've got a slightly different kind of skin tone, but you just rock it, bud. Thank you. Um, so Johnny's on our engagement team, so you maybe have seen him when you've come in the door. Um, you've been doing it for a while now. Um, so my first question, um, how do you see yourself in the prodigal? Uh, sure. Um, okay. So, I <laughs> I think it's an everyday uh, story for me. Um, being a former addict, I uh, was out in chaos for a very long time, and I think I, I really messed up my way of thinking. Um, and so, what does that look like now? I'm still in the process. Um, even though my, my actions may not be what they used to, my thoughts are. And um, I think that uh, I, I, I tend to come into any kind of space thinking I, I don't belong or uh, that I'm inferior or I'm not worthy. Sorry. It's OK. World peace. <laughs> I um, uh, So I. Um, where was I going with that? Um, and so now, uh, I know that sounds absurd, um, but God constantly reminds me that I'm loved and I'm welcome, and uh, not just him, but the people here too, um, which I'm grateful for. But you know, I, I it's just something I I think of when I um, think of the story of the prodigal son. And so, you know. I think it's a great example of like how serving can be healing rather than harming. Because when, when we're in process, like we're making that transition, like we're coming home, and even as we're coming home, we're extending that to others. So like what's your favorite thing about even just like greeting people, like just standing in the door and, and welcoming us in? Sure. Um, I don't want anyone to think uh, of themselves in that way. I, God has. Uh, swung the door wide open for me, and I want to do the same for other people. Uh, I don't want, um, no matter what people think of themselves, I want them to think that this is a safe space, that I'm a safe space, and um, definitely here for hugs if people want them. <laughs> That's great. Thank you, Johnny. Thanks. So we've got those, those forward-facing uh, opportunities to serve, but we have a lot of people kind of in the background, like not everybody is available with hugs, you know what I mean? Like, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not about kind of converting a house into a home. There's so many people that do amazing things in the background to still do that. And so uh, the, the other person I want to bring up is Andy, Andy Place. 
Andy, Andy's on, uh, he's a, one of our audio techs, so he shows up really early on Sunday mornings and he and, uh, and Patrick Dunn kind of help get the band set up in this, um, in this space and then he's just so patient to, to kind of sit and wait for uh, worship to start. So um, I think it's one of those situations where it could just seem very mundane, like I'm just rolling cables. Like what do you see is the spiritual significance of serving on the kind of audio tech team? Yeah, um, for me, it comes down to um, being able to serve uh, different people in our community, um, serving Patrick um, to be able to set, start setting up the audio for him so that he's able to come in and just do his job, uh, be able to serve the worship team so that they can come in, uh, rehearse, prepare the space for um, all of you, uh, serve you, set up your mic, get things ready for that, serve the community so that when you arrive, you can hear the audio and you don't have just silence in the space, but you actually have, um, you're not straining to hear uh, the wonderful message that you prepare for us each week. Um, and so what is, like, what does it even, what does it do for the community to even serve like on, on the tech team in that capacity? What does it do for us? Because I think a lot of, most of us probably don't even know that that's a thing that's happening. Sure, yeah, it's, um, it's I, I see it as an integral part of any service to be able to set the stage, literally, um, for the uh, congregation coming in um, to, once again, hear the message and uh, participate in worship. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, bud. Thanks. Good up for Andy. So um, this is where it becomes practical. You know, we've, we've talked about like, here's kind of vision three to five year initiatives, some things that we really want to see happen as we're kind of being faithful to the Lord. We've talked about like more in the short term, like this is what it's gonna mean for discipleship. Here's what it means for us serving the world around us. And here's what it means for us serving within as we're seeking to make this house a home. So now I want you to pull out your phones and go to citybeautiful.ch weekly. And uh, I'm going to invite the worship team up as well. And um, the first kind of little piece on the weekly there is about, uh, is, is, a, is a link to um, the Praxis form. And I want you to just to look over that. I'm going to give you two minutes just to prayerfully kind of sit in this place and not, and, and, it, and it, maybe it's a good challenge to come out of that older son mentality of resentment and cynicism or that younger son uh, mentality of inadequacy. And um, to consider, like, how am I serving uh, this family, this messy group of people, these, this mix of older sons and younger sons? How am I positioning myself to kind of practice being an extension of the radical hospitality of the Father so that we can all grow together? So there's the different opportunities there um, to serve, whether it's on greenhouse or tech or the ops team, or the engagement team, <coughs> or the worship team. Um, there's an opportunity for you just to connect, to say, hey, local global, keep me posted. Like, I, I wanna show up for these things and I wanna really go out there and, and try some of these things. Um, but do you hear the invitation from the father to become a father, to become a mother, uh, to step up and to, to do what St. Francis told us to do, to, to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. So I'm going to give you two minutes um, to look over that, fill it out, hit submit. Um, if you're already serving, um, just spend some time in prayer asking the Lord, like, Lord, what is my posture towards serving and how can I do it from a place that I believe that everything you have already is available to me? So let's just take two minutes and sit with that. When you're ready, when you've kind of hit submit or just spend some time listening uh, to the voice of the Father, affirming that you are already home, I want to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to pray and we're going to worship together. And worship is an opportunity for us to sing truth over one another uh, and for each other. I think half the time we sing things that we don't believe, but we want to get to that place. And I love that we sing it.
for each other, like we sing it over one another to say, hey, when you're struggling to believe this thing about God, this thing about yourself, I'm gonna sing it for you until you're in a place to be able to better receive that. So I'm gonna pray uh, and we're gonna worship the Almighty. So Heavenly Father, we, we confess our prodigal tendencies um, that we, from a place of entitlement and fear that we don't belong, have decided to, to cut and run, to go elsewhere to find love, comfort, to find a sense of home. Lord, I pray that you would deliver us from that uh, impoverished mindset as we come back to you that says we're not worthy of being sons and daughters because of what we've done. Uh, but you look at each of us and you say, "This is you are my child in whom I am well pleased. And you give us a seat at your table. And we also confess that older son mentality that many of us may have. We've been in the house a long time but it's not been a home where we've worked like slaves for a long time without ever really believing that we are your children. Deliver us from resentment. Deliver us from cynicism. Deliver us from jealousy and, and envy of those who we see receiving your affection. I pray, Lord, that day by day as we commit to one another, um, that we would be able to celebrate one another, that we would be able to provide radical hospitality for each other, that we would remember why we are here and what we are here to do, what we're here to be for one another as an extension of your love for each and every person in this room and all who might find their way through our doors. So Holy Spirit, we give you permission in this time of worship to move in us and through us, continue to speak to us, uh, to heal us and to, to unite within us what has fallen apart, that we might leave this place transformed. We pray all of this in the strong and the blessed name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship. I want to read those final words of the Father over you again. My son, my daughter, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because these other brothers, these other daughters, sisters of yours were dead and they're alive again. They were lost and they've been found. The thing that I love about vision is it's something we don't taste in the moment necessarily. If we were already achieving all of this, it wouldn't actually be vision. We would just pat ourselves on the back and go home. Um, but we recognize that challenge that God has given us, that he's forming a family of strangers and that it's as we do the work of, of learning how to love one another, learning how do we make a house into a home? How do we look beyond our, over our threshold to see those who God is, is inviting to come home, to come out of the cold? The more that we do that, the more we, we own for ourselves the love of God and we realize this thing is real. Like the, how deep the Father's love for me, for each of us. And so for my challenge for you this week is, if you're not already serving somewhere, uh, to consider trying it out. A very little experience is necessary just to come on and to be part of that. And I wanna challenge those of you who do serve to check your heart, to check your heart posture. Are you serving out of that impoverished, enslaved mentality where it's causing you cynicism and, and, and to be bitter? Or do you, do you understand the radical and beautiful call of the Father to become part of his radical hospitality? So you've got one week uh, to fill all of that out. Um, for anybody, if you have questions about serving, if there's some of those teams that maybe you're kind of fuzzy on what they are or what they look like or what a commitment might look like, um, some of our engagement team are gonna be right out front um, to, to talk with you. They're amazing people to help you connect to uh, the next step 
um, to, to allow this to become a little bit more home for you. So um, with all of that, if you just want to extend your hands, and I'm going to send you forth with this ancient benediction. May the peace of Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness. May he protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home once again through our doors. Amen. See you all next week. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.